0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Telegraph.
1: the Telegraph Podcasts.
2: The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Line Trust specialist fund managers.
3: Hello and welcome to Total Football. I and Irving off the bench once again whilst Tom Gibbs is away to look over the weekend's action and look ahead to another big week for English clubs in Europe. On today's episode we look at the mayhem in Manchester where Ole turned to dismay at the Etihad as Pep's party was put on hold by United. We'll head to Merseyside where there were no goals and no joy for Everton held at home against a distracted Liverpool team with one eye on Europe. Meanwhile at the other end of the table it's as you were with no wins for the bottom clubs we we'll ask Kelly Cates her thoughts on the relegation scramble. Well, only one place to start, really, and I'm joined by the chief football writer here at The Telegraph, Sam Wallace, to unpick the Manchester derby. Sam, where do we start?
0: Well, I think we probably have to start at half-time, don't we? Because that's that's where the game changed. Mourinho said afterwards that he felt that the performance wasn't as poor as as it was generally received to be in the first half. And Do you believe him? To be honest, I, he... he um. There wasn't much dissembling in that press conference. He didn't seem to be he didn't seem to be pushing an agenda at all. He didn't seem that sort of triumphant. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and say that I do actually. <laughs> he said that he told his three midfielders, Matic, Pogba and Herrera, that, that, that they played well. And that all he asked of the team was that Lingard and Sanchez get involved more and, and connect the players, he said. And and I think Sanchez Sanchez's performance really probably, you know, was the spark if Pogba Pogba delivered the two goals, but I'm pretty. Am I? I'm right in saying that Sanchez got two assists and had a key role in in the first goal. So, so he saw the game slightly differently. Um, he wasn't as 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 kind of irritated as, as you might expect for a manager being two goals down in a game like that. So perhaps, you know, perhaps he's right. Perhaps he saw it slightly differently to us. It wasn't one of those games where Marie like when we think back to the, to the victory over Liverpool where they targeted Lovren, it wasn't one of those games where to the sort of layman, there's a tactical aspect that really stands out. I suppose you would say the fact that he didn't change, that he kind of sort of held his nerve through that first well through, through half time and and believed that things would change for him on the pitch with the same eleven players. Maybe that was that was what he did well this time. I have to say, it's amazing the confidence of even the top footballers, the difference that just a few things going well for them make. So I think it was, I I was waiting, I was thinking, when's United's first attempt on target going to come? When are they actually going to make, you know, Edison make a save? And it was four minutes after half-time, Pogba had a shot. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a very good one, but it was a shot. And and suddenly just the mood changed a little bit. That Um,
3: was a marker for what was about to come as well, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: So, uh, it always amazes me because, you know, you, you watch kids football, uh, you know, you watch football at any level, confidence has such an effect and and once City wobbled, they really wobbled, didn't they?
3: Paul Pogba became the central figure before the game, before a, a ball had even been kicked just from the press conference comments from Pep Guardiola but he became central on the pitch as well in that second half. What did he do differently for you?
0: I thought... I thought he was getting passed around in the first half. I thought he made some some bad decisions. There was a moment where we were talking earlier where he just tried to dribble out of his own half and lost the ball. He just looked looked a bit lost, I thought. Judging by the fact the positions that he was in when he scored, he just seemed to be further up the pitch. And um, I think that really suits him. I think I think to have you know, Matic and Herrera are naturally deeper players. And I just felt that he was further up the pitch. But Marino made no reference to that afterwards. Maybe United would just pinned back a bit. I actually thought United started the game quite well, but I remember glancing glancing my notes earlier. Just about sort of ten or eleven minutes, I, I, you know, I sort of made the note. City have really settled into their rhythm now, and, and they were just running the game. United started okay. It was just, <laughs> you know, it was just the sort of the, the the last forty minutes of the first half that were the problem for them.
3: When we talk about Paul Pogba and the comments that, that came from Guardiola before the game. Obviously, he's answered back with those two goals. But what about his future now? What what's going to happen next? Because the cold hard facts underneath what Guardiola says was that his agent has been looking for an out from Old Trafford.
0: Yeah, I, I, there's there's no doubt that there's a difficult relationship between um, Marino and Mino you know, Raiola, and you know, Raiola is a salesman. He's, he's like he's like anyone else who you know who sells advertising space or cars or whatever. He you know he he deals in trades, so he's always looking to create a market. Um, I think what was more surprising about it all was 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 Guardiola divulging it because that's a that's a tactic we associate with Marino. Why did he do it? I, I wasn't at the press conference, but the the guys who were there say that um, say that he just came out with it that he he, he couldn't stop himself. And he just felt like saying it. And as you, as you know better than, than I do, I mean, Guadalupe doesn't always talk in complete sentences. So it does, and, and this, is, you know, this is not meant to be a slight on a man who speaks many more languages than I do. He does talk in a stream of consciousness, doesn't he? Yeah. And one idea overlaps another, overlaps another, overlaps another. And, and I just think it just spilled out. As it often does with Marino. Marino often says things that I think in reflection he'd wished he hadn't.
3: He didn't say anything in reference to this, though, did he? He didn't seem to make any sort of comment or any sort of Jose snipe didn't. back. Yeah, Jose didn't. Yeah, yeah, just, I, that yeah. seems strange. That's, that's like Jose Light almost, yes, isn't it? Yes,
0: yes. because if Wenger had said it, I think he would have devoured him. I mean, some of his his retaliations to, to, to stuff Wenger has said has been totally disproportionate, um, including the sort of specialist in failure uh, remark, which was, which really, you know, the, the the remark from Wenger that preceded it really didn't merit that kind of response. So I was surprised at that. I think he's probably put that one in his pocket and, and and we'll come back to that at a later date.
3: In terms of the result, James Ducker writing in the Sunday Telegraph was sort of alluding to this idea of it being a marker for next season and that Manchester United have to make it more than just winning the three points and and, and delaying City's title party. Do you buy into that?
0: I think United's problem this season and and the euphoria of of that result change it a, a great deal is, is is what sort of team are, are they going to be and I, I'm 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 not really sure and you know the performance against Liverpool um, when was it October I think is always held up as the one that where they kind of lost their nerve a bit I don't know what an attacking Marino team looks like I didn't watch Real Madrid every week but I, saw, I watched his Chelsea teams most weeks and. And they they were uh, Chelsea. Mark one was very kind of uh, economic. It was two nil wins. It was a goal in either half, and then they shut up shop. But well, they did they did play some good football. And then Chelsea Mark two was really changed by the um, by the five three defeat at New Year's um, at White Hart Lane. So Mourinho would be bemused if if people expected him to play football like Jurgen Klopp or Guardiola because it's just not what he does, and he's not interested in doing that, and and um, it's not what's brought him success. So what, what, what I'm curious as to here is he's managing a club which is very different from Chelsea, which is certainly different from Porto and Inter Milan. And, and the, only, the, only similar, the only similar kind of comparable is, is, um, is Real Madrid in terms of his career. Mourinho thrives as the underdog. And even at Real Madrid, he could afford to be the underdog a little bit because he was up against the great Barcelona team. But what does he create at United? I'm not sure yet. I think a, I think a lot of it, of what he does is always relative to the teams he's up against so if he's up against that Liverpool team of 2013-2014 he's about stopping them winning the league if he's up against that City team of the current season then it's about beating them but how do United carve out their own identity as a, as a club that, where we, we talk about them in the way that we talk about City
3: In terms of the result the United players speaking after the game pointed out it was important in the battle for second place there's obviously the elephant in the room and the fact that they've delayed a title party for Manchester City, maybe only for a week, but maybe for longer. But they've now lost the chance to break the record of the earliest ever title win. The winning margin could be smaller as well. They may not set that record. Does this result take any gloss away from their title victory?
0: Yeah, I think it does. I mean, it sounds ridiculous to say that. Because <laughs> it does most really, weeks, yeah. it would have been. It would have been monumental. It would have been like... When when Arsenal won the league at White Hart Lane, it, it would have been it would have been up there with all those things, those kind of achievements. So yeah, it, it, of course it takes a, a bit off it, um, but but they are still you know by far and away the best team in the country, and that won't change. I kind of admire the fact that that Guardiola doesn't change, he doesn't adapt, and and he he, he only plays this he he plays with the handbrake off. I quite like that, and. Um, I I also quite like I I do admire the way that he accepted defeat. I thought I thought he was very magnanimous. He he has been for most of the season. I know he can be a bit awkward at times, but he didn't go on about that penalty, which was clearly a penalty, the the young Mm. tackle on Sterling. You know, managers don't often they don't get the credit for that sort of stuff. We only notice it when they do have a moan. So yeah, I mean back to the original question. Yeah, of course it does. It does take an edge off it, but it will still be uh, it will still be a pretty remarkable title. And one thing that I, well, I'll, I'll just leave uh, to finish on this note: I was interesting. I thought some of the city players had their children with them as mascots at the start of the game, and that just surprised me. Not because I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with you know wanting your children to be there. I just Guardiola is a kind of zero distraction sort of manager. Just surprised he allowed it. But there you go. It's a, a curiosity. Not all of them. I mean, the child that was at the front. Who was brought out in a wheelchair by uh, Vincent Company? Um, you yeah, know that was obviously something different, but it just it just seemed to me that there was a lot going on on the pitch before there was a lot of who should I hand my toddler over to? And from a couple of the players and Guardiola being so much about details and about not tolerating a single error or you know or a digression from procedure, it just surprised me. That's all.
3: Two damaging defeats in a row. Obviously, the first leg against Liverpool now defeating the derby as well. How does Pep Guardiola lift things for this second leg now against Liverpool Champions League quarter final on Tuesday?
0: I, I think um, I think if they score the first goal, it all changes. I mean, I, I really do feel like it's that sort of it, it, it's on that sort of knife edge, just like United coming out for the second half and scoring. You know, when was it? Sort of know, about eight minutes in or whatever. I think it's it's really as simple as that. I think they get that first goal, and suddenly the hunt is on, and they can do it. and And it's it's going to be a Liverpool will be caught between going forward and 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 defending what they've got. And I think it makes it really exciting. And 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 that's the great thing about football. You can, you know, there's a game every three or four days if when you're a top team, and and you can transform your fortune so quickly.
3: It might help them that might it the fact that it is so quick.
0: Yeah, I, I they've not, they've not got much time to think really, have they? And um, if there's one team that can do it, you know you you'd expect a side that scored as many goals as them that that they could really cut loose.
3: We'll talk more about that game a little bit later with both Chris Bascom and Kelly Cates. But Sam, if we can move it on now to look at the picture in the Premier League that that nil-nil draws left between Everton and Liverpool because we now have a bit of a battle really for second and third place. Tottenham now level on points with Liverpool after victory at Stoke and Harry Kane not getting his goal, despite the fact he claimed it flicked off his shoulder. We said before, do you believe Jose Mourinho? Do you believe Harry Kane? <laughs>
0: uh, it's interesting that he's, because Harry Kane is, you know, he's always the sort of nice guy, and but he's obviously desperate to, to make up a bit of ground after his injury in this uh, in this golden boot race, isn't he? Um, no, I think that one, I, I think that's rightly Christian Eriksen's. Um, and I think he might well struggle to catch Mohamed Salah now, won't he, Kane?
3: Is it a bit a bit uncomfortable how how selfish Kane is in this regard because he's he's publicly stated quite openly that he wants this golden boot as a, as a teammate or as a, as a Tottenham fan i mean i guess you want Kane to score goals and have that attitude but is it
0: is it not a little bit selfish um i don't think there's anything wrong with that i think um i think footballers the good ones anyway care about that sort of stuff and um when you play the game at that level they the the impression i get from from talking to them is, is there's a different sort of set of rules at play there that you know that however light that last touch might be, um, you know it's yours. There's a great story, isn't there, about um, David Nugent? I think scored one goal in one cap for England, and he nicked a Jermaine Defoe goal on the, on the line. goal line. I don't think they ever spoke again after that. That's, really, that's what someone told me. Yeah, and uh, that's how serious it is. You know, these wow. these things matter to uh, to strikers.
3: Well, points are certainly mattering to Stoke at the moment as well. They're in a lot of trouble at the bottom of the table. Paul Lambert says if they continue to play like they did against Tottenham, they'll be okay. Do you do you buy into that? Uh,
0: they, they were, you know, judging by what I've seen of the game, they they were they were unlucky, um, and they did they did they did play well. They gave them they they gave them a game. Um, I suppose what you would say is there's, there's still a bit of a, there's still a bit of time to go. I mean, Stoke have got five games left. I mean Swansea in 15th is still only 5 points ahead of them. I think there's still there's still a bit to play for down there and um yeah I I wouldn't I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's over yet. It's just uh it, it's just that they're not going to be a, they're going to have to pull some results out of the hat, aren't they?
3: Southampton the same as well. They were at the wrong end of a crazy game against Arsenal, 3-2 victory. <coughs> yes. Um Mark Hughes has had two Premier League games now, two defeats, three goals conceded in both matches. Things need to change quickly, don't they? Six matches left. They've got Chelsea still to play. They've got Manchester City still to play. Tricky away games at Leicester and Everton. It's looking like an uphill task.
0: It is. It is. And their and their form, you know, is 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 really really poor. The last Premier League win was was February the third against um, West Brom away at West Brom. I think they did look at this Arsenal game as 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 one that you know they they felt they could get something out of. Just obviously, you look at a fixture list and you see names like Arsenal and Chelsea, and you think, well, actually, you know, they're they're they're, diff, they're difficult games. When in reality, you have got to look at form, and clearly, next Saturday against Chelsea at home, yes, it's the last season's champions, but I see that as a game they they just have to win, and 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 it's not it's not implausible. It's not like Chelsea are going for the title. Chelsea is struggling for a bit of form at the moment as well. I've got a feeling they're going to be okay. That's that's my belief, and uh, I think it's going to be tight. But I think they will. I think they they they'll get something out of that Chelsea game, and I think obviously the Bournemouth game on the um on the twenty eighth of April, the home home game against Bournemouth. Um, that's another South Coast team, although not really a rivalry. Um, quite a long way between yeah, the two. Yeah, it's not really. I mean, people have tried to uh, dress it up as the New Forest the derby. It's it, it's it's nothing. It, there's there's not a lot of hatred there, but um. <laughs> Not nothing like there is with Portsmouth and Southampton, but that that game they, they they've got to win that.
3: From the Arsenal perspective, of course, they've got their quarter final in the Europa League, the second leg four one up against CSK in Moscow, going to Russia. Danny Welbeck was a standout player in the game for Arsenal, two goals and assist, and a an horrendous miss. <laughs> what, what do you make of him? And he's he's sort of making a run for the England squad again, isn't he?
0: Yes, kind of against the odds, really. Um, England managers, I mean Roy Hodgson was a massive fan of his and 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 played him a lot, especially in that in that first Euros in 2012. The problem is obviously the finishing. I mean that's always been held against him. He's never been a he's never been viewed as a as a clinical striker, but he tends to he tends to be played out wide most of the time anyway, doesn't he? And he he follows instructions and managers really like that. I mean Arsenal on actually, I mean for all their sort of problems there, I'm just looking at their form and that that was a six straight win, wasn't it? Mm. So. They're on. They're on a bit of a run at the moment. I mean, the season's sort of turned on its head, really. I mean, he, I, I was there uh, at the start for that Europa League campaign, and um, Wenger was was you know got to say he was pretty dismissive about the notion of, of 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 playing in that competition. And there was that bit of a shambles, really, with the with the first home game against Cologne. And, <laughs> In the stand it was a brilliant atmosphere, but the um I mean, it was amazing. All those fans went all that way to watch that team and they were really hopeless, Cologne, weren't they? Uh, but um they uh, they
3: stunk, didn't they? Yeah, they
0: <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> Thank um, you. They need to win it now, really, you know, that's their their only chance. And I I'm thinking I'm right in thinking that Atletico Madrid are probably the other big fish, really big fish left in it. But it'd be a good way for him to go out. And I think he, you know, I think the chances are he will leave this, this summer, um, and what a way to go winning a, a European trophy, which he's not yet obviously that's the one thing that he's not done at Arsenal
3: Just going back to the picture at the bottom no team now in the bottom half won this weekend three draws, three quite crucial draws, West Brom 1, Swansea 1 Brighton 1, Huddersfield 1, Bournemouth 2, Crystal Palace 2 Ian Winrow writing in the paper says two teams trading mistakes and unable to conjure the decisive moment, that was Brighton and Huddersfield it's not a game that's going to live long in the memory is it?
0: No, um, I think probably Huddersfield, without wishing to be unfair on them, are one of the least prepared teams for the Premier League. They obviously they came up through the playoffs, so that's always that's always going to give you you know a, a couple of weeks less than every the, the two promoted teams, um, and and they've kind of they've bought players in a very different market to most clubs in that part of the division. Brighton, on the other hand, that was very much their kind of um, mantra for. For the uh, seasons preceding their promotion, that they wanted to be ready for the Premier League, and um, and I think they've, you know, they they were always going to be. It was always going to be a skin of the teeth job for for those two teams. But the, you know, the very fact that with five six games to go, they're still in there fighting does does them great credit. I think
3: West Brom done now. That draw ended a run of eight consecutive defeats. They're ten points off safety with five remaining. Darren Moore now in temporary charge.
0: I think they are the the big question for them now is is who is the next manager going to be and and obviously they're looking at someone who's a championship specialist John Percy's uh, written uh, our, our Midlands correspondent has written that, that that could well be Michael Appleton who I think would be a really good choice did well at Oxford his last job before he moved over to be assistant at Leicester and the other the other name that's been mentioned is is Dean Smith at Brentford who's a you know a manager I think I really admire who's He's really had to battle his way up, you know, with Warsaw, and then and now with Brentford, and both of them would, I think, would be good choices.
3: Just a word on the Premier League's unlikely entertainers, Bournemouth. Um, Mm. They scored an 89th-minute equaliser against Palace, and now it's the seventh game in a row involving Bournemouth that's had a goal scored in the 89th minute or later this season. They've gained 18 points. From losing positions, which is the best in the Premier League, and they've lost 19 points from winning positions, which is third best in the Premier League. They're just an unlikely, entertaining team, aren't they, Bournemouth? It's never a dull moment, yeah. it seems.
0: I mean, they are amazing. In that they, they, I mean, I remember the the sort of week that they got promoted. I mean, they were all over the radio and the newspapers, weren't they? And it was like this little miracle of this this club coming from nowhere that that come all the way through the divisions with this great young manager and now it's just expected of them you know Eddie Howe's not shown a great deal of interest in going anywhere else and 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 people have gradually stopped linking him with jobs and he's he's just happy there but I'm looking at I'm just looking at the team actually the team that, that played Palace a lot of all the these lads that have been with him a long time that have served him well I mean it's absolutely amazing he's got so much out of them and if anything really it's um it's the bigger names that have gone there. I mean, Ake, they've, they've done a great job with, but he's, he's really developed and, and get so much value out of players. It's amazing. We think that Southampton have to beat them really to stay in the, to stay in the division. And, um, and Southampton, for, long, for a long time, was seen as the job that Howe should aspire to in order that he could... I mean, I probably wrote this myself, but... Um, <laughs> when <laughs> but you say, yes, probably. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I did. Uh, you know, that he could aspire to in order to get the Arsenal job or the Chelsea job or one of those jobs that English managers never, ever seem to get. And yet, he's kind of proved us all wrong, really, and, and, and uh, held Bournemouth, you know, in mid-table... You know, But the, just like Southampton, it, it only takes a few mistakes, it only takes some miscalculations in the transfer market and, and and things can be more difficult. But the one thing that Bournemouth have done, which Southampton haven't done, is they've, they've kept the same manager in its work.
3: Newcastle winning at Leicester and Burnley winning at Watford has put Burnley in a pretty strong position to finish in seventh place, which looks likely to give them a European spot for next year. Mm. Burnley on a European tour as their fans have been singing. That would be... An interesting prospect, wouldn't it? It would be
0: great. And and the one thing I hope they would do, because it would be really difficult for them, just it would really stretch their resources, wouldn't it? And uh I mean, I don't know how many flights there are out of Burnley International Airport, or indeed <laughs> if, if, if such a place exists. But they're going to have to totally rethink the way they approach the season. And and there have been clubs along the way, unlikely contenders, in it, none as small as Burnley, but you think back to Stoke or Bolton Wanderers, just hope they give it a go because it would be it would be absolutely brilliant. I think it would be a challenge for them but hopefully one they would embrace.
3: Right, I'm joined on the phone now by our man on Merseyside, Chris Bascombe, to look back at a drab derby and look forward to what could be a very special night in the Champions League between Liverpool and Manchester City. So, Chris, you were at Goodison Park then on Saturday yeah. for the Merseyside derby. What sort of a Merseyside derby was that?
2: Well, it had all- Occasions, aren't there, where there's so much happens in a game, you just don't know how to to crammer into your match report, and it's definitely fair to say this was not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, the
3: exact opposite, yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, you know, Wayne Rooney had a bit of a mutter under his breath, uh, I think something happened in the first half, maybe something happened towards the end, and that was bad it, in between, it was, um, it was just very forgettable, I kind of felt Liverpool... Went there, compromised. You know the uh, very. Uh, I suppose this was this was a Jürgen Klopp's idea of caution. This kind of setup, you know, where he, he's gone in without his his main weapons and just said to the players, control the game. I thought it was quite interesting. He said it was the most mature performance he'd seen as Liverpool manager, and that you know the, it was almost like Liverpool was going to dictate the tempo, and he did really up until the minute. I felt he took James Milner off. At which point you're kind of thinking, is he, is there anything more Jürgen can do here to give Sam Allardyce a win? I mean, he he didn't, doesn't go in with Firmino and Salah. He takes Milner, who I thought, along with Van Dyke was the best player on the pitch. Then he takes Mane off, as he was a bit dangerous. Um, and Everton nearly did take advantage, but I kind of thought Everton were very, very poor. And Liverpool just did what Klopp ultimately was happy with, which is get at least a point. And in the light like of Chelsea's result today, it's, it's a very, very good point for Liverpool.
3: We'll go into Liverpool more in a moment, Chris, but just looking at it from the Everton perspective, yeah. you've sort of focused your reports on it in the yeah. Telegraph as well. Yeah. The struggle for popularity for Sam Allardyce, I mean, yeah. what's going to happen here?
2: Well, it's a massive problem for Allardyce is, if I was to come on here and say, look, I think he's been a bit unlucky here because, you know, he's, he's done the job that he was expected to do and... He's not. He's inherited somebody else's team, He's not had a chance to build, I would get absolutely annihilated. <laughs> you know, the, just said it. <laughs> you, know, exactly, well, you know, you you would get absolutely... Because the problem for him has been they didn't want them, the Everton fans. They have a different perception of where the club is going. Their idea of what they want uh, from their club, like pretty much every fan wants, is a kind of idealistic, young up-and-coming manager who, who's going to be there to build something for four or five years. And whether he likes it or not, or he likes us saying it or not... Sam is just not seen as that figure, and and never will be by the Everton fans. And you kind of, I kind of like because I've been dealing with him for the first time in my life. I kind of do respect the way he, he, he doesn't doesn't shake any of the questions. He doesn't ignore, um, you know, this ongoing daily reference to he's under, you know, his position's under threat. He, he sort of doesn't necessarily believe it. I don't think, or well, he, he, he doesn't suggest he does, but. There's been absolutely nothing at all from the top of the club to suggest they're not looking elsewhere and, and keeping their options open and so this kind of vacuum exists at the moment, which is going to be filled by ongoing i wouldn't i wouldn't call it speculation it's well it's well sourced you know since that. Something is going to be happening in the summer, which, which ultimately the Evertonians hope is going to be a change of manager. We're already seeing new directors of football. They're going to have like we've had joint managers on Merseyside once upon a time. They're going to have joint directors of football as well. I mean, they really need to decide what they are going to do. But the problem Allardyce has got is that if he if he's in charge at the start of next season, it's going to look as though Farhad Mashiri hasn't got a clue what he's doing, and the Everton fans are going to be ready to explode at the first poor home performance and. That is the dilemma the Everton board face, because the Everton fans just do not want Sam Alvarez's manager, it's a fact.
0: Chris, who do you think it's going to be if it's not going to be Sam? Well, I've
2: felt all along, I've had my suspicions, just because Marco has not been really strongly linked with any position since he left Watford, and I find that really hard to understand or believe, other than if I'm really cynical, thinking he's got something already lined up. If he wanted them in, when was it, December, November time, I don't really see why... On the back of five poor games for Wofford in the meantime, or whatever it was, they're not going to still want them. You know, they, they thought they had an agreement, I think, with them. And, you know, his shadow has loomed large ever since that approach to Wofford uh, never came to fruition.
3: Let's move it on to Liverpool then, Chris. I mean, yeah. a 3 0 advantage they're taking into Tuesday. They rested a lot of players, <laughs> or players were injured and left out at the weekend against Everton. But perhaps the key question really is how is Mo Salah?
2: Well, look, everything we're hearing is positive. After the game yesterday, Jurgen Klopp suggested he'll be okay. What, you know, you wonder how okay is okay. I mean, if he's eighty percent, I'm sure you know you'll never get a manager say he's not playing unless he's hundred percent. But I wonder if even a seventy five, eighty percent Salah will get on that pitch. It's you know, Liverpool's season ultimately now comes down to the to these Champions League games, doesn't it? You kind of feel force is now theirs. So. You know, if there's, if there's one game, you know there, there are certain games that come along where you you will take the risk.
3: With Klopp saying that the Everton performance was perhaps the most mature since he came in, and also the improvement in defence that Liverpool have made eight mm-hmm. clean sheets in the last 12 mm-hmm. matches. Yeah, yeah. How capable are they of going to City and seeing this job through?
2: Well, I think you're going to be reading a lot about Virgil van Dijk over the last four days. I was well, not too much away. I think he has been. It started off quite low-key brilliance, and now it's become an incredible <laughs> br- brilliance. I mean, he has been. Yeah, I thought he was superb last week. I mean, uh, you, you know, Liverpool have had 3 nil leads quite a bit in the last couple of years. I mean, we were doing pieces early in the season. They, they drew with Seville. This was pre-Van Dijk. And so, the, whilst, you know, I'm sure we'll be really reminding ourselves, you know, maybe that Seville game and Crystal Palace game a few years back when Liverpool have squandered these advantages. There's just a little steeliness about them with Van Dijk there. And that thought, again. He, he was brilliant on Sunday, uh, sorry, on Saturday against Everton. And I think there's a calmness about Liverpool's defending now. But we, we also know if City getting a bit of momentum, as we saw in the first half on Saturday. You know, they can rattle through the goals and through the, you know, go through the gears very quickly, and you could just one goal can become two and three before you know it. So um, I don't think any any Liverpool supporter is going to be going to that stadium thinking the job is done. I think it, it's really been really interesting last week. Everybody's been saying Liverpool. Just need a goal. Need to get a goal. So it's almost like an expectation City can get for. Yeah, but I think Van Dyke is, is essential. I think. I think in many respects, we've been writing so much about Mane, Firmino, and Salah for so long, but going into this game, I think a lot of people will be writing about Van Dyke.
3: Okay, Chris. Thank, no you, for j- at all. thank yes, you for great. coming on. Okay, Enjoy thank Tuesday. <laughs>
2: the Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust who help you head towards your financial goals. Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can
3: fall as well as rise. So very little movement at the bottom of the Premier League table this weekend, but to pour over the situation in that relegation battle, I'm joined by broadcaster Kelly Cates. So Kelly, it's crowded still at the bottom. Not many wins this weekend. Have we learned anything more over this weekend?
1: I don't think I don't think we've learned anything that we didn't already know. I mean, I think you know, it's just sort of working your way up the table, we know that it, it's pretty much gone for West Brom. We know that Stoke have really improved under Paul Lambert, but they still can't seem to find a way to win. Although their fixtures kind of improve a bit between now and the end of the season, we know that that Southampton can can have a a wobble in them. That you know, that they, they're. They, I, I just think that. There's enough fight. There's plenty of fight in those teams down at the bottom. I don't think, other than maybe West Brom, there are teams down there going with a whimper. But it just looks as though it's it's not going to be enough for so many of them. I think, you know, even you look at, at Palace, it's another late goal conceded. You look at Huddersfield, it's the same problems, even though he talked about the resolve in, in their game. And then probably from the way Swansea are playing, from that run of results that they, when Carvalho first came in, they should be all right. And then, I think you sort of have to have to start drawing a line now, from from West Ham upwards. Five points, you know, with with six games left to play, is starting to look all right, because you just think they'll they'll get enough between now and the end of the season. Although they've got Manchester City, Manchester United and Arsenal to come between now and the end of the season. So having said that, I've not convinced myself.
3: (laughs) (laughs) How many points do you think it's going to take? Rafa Benitez still thinks it'll be the magic 40 point mark. Paul Lambert's talking more like it's going to be 36 points. What do you Mm.
1: think? I think probably somewhere in the middle of that. I think high 30s, it's, it's probably going to come down to that. But then, I mean, that that suggests that Southampton can get nine points. If you say 37, then that suggests that Southampton are going to get nine points from the next six games, which, you know, is not, is not guaranteed. So I think it's sort of, I don't know, mid to, mid to high 30s, I think, will, will probably be about right.
3: What's going to change in the next few weeks as well as the, as the pressure builds? Do you think certain teams may well emerge under that pressure? And do you think certain teams may well disappear under that pressure?
1: I think we've I think we've seen them under pressure all these teams at, at different stages of the season and you know especially when they've they've made changes and we've seen how they've reacted to them and you know West Brom really the only team that have, have properly crumbled on, under the pressure the rest of them seem to be really responding to it it's just that they don't have whatever it takes to, you know to get those three points whether it's that last bit of quality whether it I mean they're all struggling for for goals They you know, have done all season and, and and are struggling for goals particularly at this stage to try and just get them over the line and i think it's just going to be it's just going to be that i don't i can't see anything changing massively you know for those teams let's say from Stoke to Swansea just sort of drawing an arbitrary line Let, you know i can't see anything changing massively for either of them i think it's just going to come down to How they perform in in each of the fixtures, who they've got to play against, Um, and it's just going to be as obvious as that. I don't, I can't see there being any, any massive twist.
3: Usually, you get a team that emerges, don't you, towards this sort of time? You go go on a great run at the end. I just don't see who that's going to be at the moment.
1: About the only one, the only one I could sort of, or the maybe two I could, take, because Swansea are sort of on an improved run, aren't they? The only ones I could sort of see at Crystal Palace to sort of build on that momentum from Zaha coming back, from since he's come back, and really sort of kick on from that. And um, this weekend, it's difficult to see, you know, to, to judge on this weekend. Stoke, because of the improvement, um, I think that it might be, it might be, you know, them that managed to get the results just because their, their fixtures start to even out between now and the, and the end of the season. They've got Liverpool to come, but they've got West Ham, which is going to be a massive game for them. They've got Burnley. So Burnley now starting to get to that season, part, part of the season we don't really know. And they play Palace and Swansea as well. So it could be really big for, for Stoke. But I just think I can make a point for them going on a good run. I can make a point for Palace going a good run. And so then you're starting to look at maybe Huddersfield dropping into the into the bottom three, and the problem is uh, the problem with Southampton is, you know, as much as Mark Hughes might be a good medium to long term appointment, he isn't someone who has ever had a good manager battle, or as, as rarely had, I think I might be saying he's never had it actually. He's not had a really good run of results in his first eight games anywhere. So you know, things would have to change drastically for him at, at Southampton. And given they've got to play Chelsea and City between now and, and the end of the season, they've also got tough trips to Leicester and to, to Everton, it's starting to look a little bit uncomfortable for them.
3: I'm going to put you on the spot now, Kelly. Who's going down? Predict the three. Um,
1: West Brom. <laughs> That's the, <first> <laughs> the easy one, yeah. Um, I, think, I think Southampton aren't going to do it. Huddersfield have got City, Arsenal and Chelsea. I think, just to, just, to, just to predict a change in the bottom three, I think it's going to be West Brom, Southampton and Huddersfield. I think Stoke might just squeak through just to predict a change. Just because if I say it's going to stay the same, that's quite dull, isn't it?
3: That's just sitting on the fence, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah pretty Yeah, much. exactly. Before I let you go, Kelly, I know you're at Goodison Park for the Merseyside Derby this weekend. Yeah. Liverpool against City on Tuesday. I mean, it was a bit of a warm-up, I suppose, for Liverpool. It was quite an easy game in some ways against Everton. So how do you see Tuesday going?
1: It is going to be a fantastic game. You know, it's going to just open up hugely at the Etihad. I genuinely don't think it's all over. I think City are something like... Fourteen to one, still to win the Champions League. Every other team has got a, a deficit that's similar to City's. They're out at like nearly hundred to one. So I think that tells you a lot about. I mean, I, I think you know that as much as Liverpool have sort of sorted out their defence relatively since since Virgil Van Dijk's come in, it just tells you more about City's attacking prowess than it than it does about anything else. Don't make me predict it. do after this weekend and after that game yesterday, that Manchester derby. I have. Uh, I'm less comfortable predicting that game, even with Liverpool having a 3-0 advantage, then I am predicting the teams to go down.
3: OK, I'll let you scurry away then. Thanks, Kelly. <laughs>
1: I'm running away with my, with my tail between my legs and absolutely <laughs> not making any predictions on that.
3: Thank you very much. Cheers, so that's the football world put to rights. And as usual, we'll finish with our Hero of the Week, which takes us back to the Etihad Stadium. And it's the tale of two stewards. So At one end of the joy spectrum, Was a fun vacuum who tried to stop Paul Pogba celebrating with his own fans at the end of the game. And at the other end is the Manchester City steward who had the biggest smile in Manchester. He enjoyed Manchester United's winner even more than Chris Smalling. If anyone knows who he is, please let us know. Be very interested to find out. So Sam, a steward-related story is the one in your repertoire?
0: I have scratched around for one and I, I can't think of one, but I've got a good ball boy one. Okay. Which is as close as I can get. And uh, this was a this was a ball boy who was who who was uh, at Wembley March twenty eighth nineteen ninety England against Brazil. It was actually the uh, the last time England beat Brazil until Roy Hodgson beat them. Okay. And that ball boy was me. Um, wow. Never touched the ball. Never touched the ball. Uh, got gobbed out, I think a couple of times for getting in <laughs> people's way. Uh, but um, did manage to um, did manage to sort of sidle up the touchline when uh, Gascoigne came on to stand as close to him as I could. And uh, he was... Um, In awe of you? Sli- yeah, slightly manic, I think, before he came on. Really nervous and, um, yeah, England won. Uh, they, Brazil should have got a penalty, blatant handball by Stuart Pearce. And at the end we were told, go onto to the pitch and line up on the centre circle. There's going to be a presentation to the players. But all the Brazilian players just walked straight off because they were so fed up with this decision. So uh, And the England players went off as well, so a few of us were just... Uh, Boys from Stevenage we just left stood in the centre circle while, uh, while the old Empire Stadium emptied. You could
3: be a lucky charm though. Gareth Southgate, if you're listening, get him on the <laughs> plane. That's all from this week's Total Football. Thank you for your company. Tom Gibbs will be back next week for an end-of-season glory run. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as well. Our theme tune is by Polvo. You can find their back catalogue at mergerecords.com. Thanks to Tayo Papula on the buttons and thank you as well. I'll talk to you again soon. Ta-ra.
2: The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist Fund Managers.